can't hear what these suckers say. I'm out here doing everything you suckers can't. To a million from some bands trying to bust the bank. The way I'm coming, it ain't fair. Keep it playing around. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Breaks and Dishes podcast. Today should be interesting, especially in light of the looming holiday season and the shopping craze we're all bracing ourselves for, all starting with Black Friday. I I don't usually listen to or watch TV, but for some reason I have been the last few days and it's every other commercial is all about Black Friday. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> way, to get us, way to get us excited for the holiday season. For- and, and I know we're going to be talking about Black Friday a little bit here today, too. Uh, But I read a book last year that really changed my thinking about our consumer society. It's called Donut Economics by Kate Raworth. She's English. I actually bought the book in England, in London, in the coziest little bookstore. I was actually doing a book signing there. Very exciting. Last year, right about this very same time of year. And, oh, I miss travel. I know travel's not great for the planet either, but... Uh. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so it's hard to imagine a different economic system and even harder to imagine trans- transitioning to one. But after reading that book, I was convinced that a large part of reversing climate change also lies in how we consume. We built our economy, this great capitalist engine around consumption, the GDP, for example. But it would require changing our behavior around what we buy and use and discard. And that's just a small part of it. It's about how we live within the means of the planet. But how do we do that without people's incomes and livelihoods coming to a screeching halt? I don't sell product, but I sell a service that creates a need for a tremendous amount of product. Chairs, carpet, drywall, light fixtures, etc., and so on. I can't seem to answer that question for myself or for my company, and at, at least not yet. So today, I'm excited to talk to our guests about this and their incredible company. They sell products, and they also do a lot of good for the planet. John, do you want to introduce our guest today? Thanks, Verda. Yeah, I do. And, you know, I'm really excited about today's guests. And it occurred to me that as I was thinking about this, I'm always really excited about our guests. And I think that if we ever hit an episode where I'm not excited about our guests, we have a bit of a problem and we'll probably need to talk about that. But these guys are pretty awesome. And when when my friend David Stover told me about these guys and what they do, I did what we all usually do. I went to their website, right? And I started looking around their website and promptly spent uh, about $150. Why? I thought, why? Why did I just spend all this money? And uh, we're going to find that out on today's episode. But today's guests are Brian and Rebecca Pape. Did I get that right, you guys? God, I was convinced I was going to kill it. Um, They're co-founders of a company called Mirror. And they're a little off our beaten path. So as interior design advocates, Verda and I try to bring a new voice to the design industry every week. We want these voices and stories to inspire our colleagues to do better, to have the planet and humankind in mind every time they go to work. And so we've often shared the microphone with guests who somehow drive change in the design industry through an innovation or technology advancement. Uh, We've had a lot of these carbon conversations. We've talked about red list ingredients and managing your supply chain. But today we're going to do something a little bit different. So today we're talking to the co-founders of a company called Mirror. 
And Mira is a design-forward and generosity-driven drinkware company with a social and environmental mission. A certified B Corp and 1% for the Planet member that is independently owned and operated. Mira chooses people and planet over the demands of Wall Street. Imagine that, everybody. Based in Seattle, Washington, its product-to-project model means every Mir product sold helps fund trackable giving projects. Today, Mir partners with some of the most respected nonprofits in the world to create sustainable giving projects supporting clean water, a healthy environment, and strong communities. The company, this is where it kind of blows my mind, the company has given over a million dollars and empowered the lives of over 115,000 people worldwide, and its customers are invited to experience the story behind their purchase by registering registering the give code found on the base of their mere product. If that sounds pretty accurate, it's because I took it right off of their website. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. But I wanted to get it right. So again, why did I spend that money the first time I saw their site? It's because I was inspired. And we think that you will be too. So join us in welcoming Brian and Rebecca to break some damn dishes welcome you guys hello thanks for thanks for being so thanks patient with us as we got through those introductions <laughs> thank you we're so excited to be here we want to break some dishes with you hey i'm glad you are because i you know i here's look at i you know so okay. i got my product the other day and i just want to say that first of all it's beautiful product this is the kind of Vern and I were talking about it before the episode because we're obviously very big furniture fans, right? Vert is an artist and a, a designer. And the, the thing about furniture is if you design it well and you make it beautifully, people don't throw it away. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, it, it's, don't get me started, but like Walmart is killing our country, right? So your stuff is beautiful and it's so legitimate. Like I literally, you know, I, I have this beautiful coffee canister that I, by the way, everybody in my family is getting me a product for Christmas and that's just <laughs> not a shameless plug. That's exactly what Thank happened <laughs> when I got in your website. And so I got the coffee canister. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to like, I, sometimes I don't get it, it, involved in stuff like this. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't have time to get on the website and do all this stuff. I'm cause I'm so busy. I'm so important, but I, I did it. I turned the canister over and I'm like, Oh, there's the code. I entered the code in. And like everything works. And I am a huge fan of authenticity, right? I think that's what I love about Verda. Like Verda is one of the most authentic people that I know. Like what you see is what you get. Verda want, if Verda wants to talk about art, it's because Verda is actually doing art. You know what I mean? And so I just felt so good about uh, my purchase and that experience that I had. With, with you all oh. and yeah it's so cool for we, that we for can't that, yeah we but. could be best friends I um I went through a, a personal philosophy exercise earlier this year and discovered that my personal philosophy is to pursue authenticity and mm. so we're like like-minded you know kindred spirits in that way for sure okay. <laughs> all right well what another thing to talk about today I love it yeah, yeah. Okay, but wait a minute. Your cups don't break. We can't break dishes with your uh, product. <laughs> well, I know. That's we don't true. want to break their cups. They're too nice. But, <laughs> but tell us how you guys got started with coffee cups was the first product, right? Yeah, I think our water bottle uh, was actually was one of the first products in uh, 2010. And I started working on the brand in 2009. 
and it was kind of a culmination of personal life experiences with the really desire. So like, you know, kind of the whole philosophy of beer is, is how do we merge business and uh, philanthropy together into, into one kind of functioning body. And that, that comes from a whole host of, um, you know, just, like I said, personal experiences from observing my grandfather build a company to my grandma, my grandmother starting a foundation uh, to then kind of having a life or death ski accident, which which led to kind of a, a, an awakening, so to speak, for for myself. Beck and I have been dating for three years. And it, this is like yeah. this is just like how much of a tool I was. Yeah. Yeah, can we talk about that photograph <laughs> on your website where, you know, your leg is off at this ridiculous angle? I mean, what happened? I, I was filming, I had a small media production company and I was filming for a local ski hill, making a, a marketing film. This is, this is pre YouTube. So we were making mini DVDs and putting them in brochures and like they were at REI, you know, like, uh, <laughs> just, just to date ourselves a little bit. <laughs> and this was 2006, 2006. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 2006. And so I was filming, ended up taking a, a bad turn in, in kind of a sketchy area, ended up hitting a tree broke my leg in half. And, uh, when you hit your, uh, when you break your femur, the largest bone in your body, you can hit your femoral artery and essentially bleed to death internally in about 10 or 15 minutes. And unfortunately I knew this because my roommate had done something similar a couple of years prior, went to the hospital after a snowboarding accident. Hey, never break your femur. Cause you can hit your artery, blah, blah, blah. As though you did right. on purpose. It's kind of a good thing to never break your femur yeah. regardless of yeah, the yeah. artery. Yeah. Thing, yeah. yeah. So it was one of those things where I think if I hadn't known that, I probably wouldn't have been uh, had had as much of a clarifying moment. But I was sitting against the street, thinking, "Okay, this could be it." And you know, I was very self-absorbed in 2006, and so it, it kind of took. You know, we've been dating for three years. It kind of took me, you know, sitting against the tree, going, "Wow, I should probably wrap." You know, probably wrap this up. Ask back to marry me. We got married a year later, and then really thinking about my own personal legacy. Again, thinking about what will people say about me at my funeral very self-absorbed. I was like, nobody would show up at my funeral thinking like Brian was a great guy or like, you know, he'd done all We told him not to break his femur. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, you know, that was, that was kind of a mission of like, how do I, how do I live more generously and how do I do more for just myself than just for myself? And so, um, you know, at that time I was, I was a part owner of a company called Little Hotties Hand Warmers. We sold air activated hand warmers at like Costco and REI. Um, and so I, I learned a tremendous amount about business there um, from from Rick, the founder. And then fast forward three years, we sold the company, and that's when you know Beck and I really started go, started getting to work on designing a better water bottle. And then really that passion of merging business and philanthropy. And so we kind of through a whole host of of experiences uh, Beck in college. This is before we started Mir. Beck had nannied for Jason Kyler, who started Hulu. Um, he was, he had been at Amazon with Beck started nanny for them. He left to work on the secret project. And then we were over at their house one day and he was like, okay, you, you all want to beta test, uh, this thing I've been working on, it's called Hulu, you know? And so wow. we're watching, you know, the office or whatever on Hulu and, and Jason had given ad space to Scott Harrison at charity water. And so we, we learned about the clean water crisis, um, in 2010 and, and really thought, well, we're, you know, we're selling, you know, mere water bottles. Let's, let's give back to clean water. So that was really where the kind of the merge first started. So 10 years in business. Wow. We had, we had big plans for a big party, um, earlier this year and obviously we couldn't make that happen. So we're going to be in business for 30 years. Oh, I hate to date myself like that next year. And I really hope we can have a party. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you'll, have to, you'll have to push it out a year. Nobody will know. Yeah. 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 It's almost like, you know, 2020 was such a wash. You could just probably erase it from, you know, the annals of history. Right. I mean, put an asterisk by it. And 2020 <laughs> is 2021. Right. 
Yes, exactly. Twenty nineteen right to twenty twenty one. Yeah, exactly. So when did you when did you guys apply for B Corp status? Now I'm just in the throes of that right now. Actually, I've been doing it for a, a, a number of months now. It's such a process. There's a lot of categories, a lot of sections. And I'm only at about 50 points. And so I'm trying to get to 80 and it's not easy. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. Especially if you're, if you're doing it on your own, I want to say we first certified in 2014 and I wasn't a part of that, but I do know enough to know that it was a lot simpler then. You went through the last one with our team. I went through the last one in 2018. And at that time they increased the window of time in between certifications. So it used to be, you had to recertify every two years and now it's every three. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, so we're coming up on that in 2021 and we will actually put together a task force. So, you know, a representative from our operations team who really knows the supply chain in and out and, you know, all of our packaging initiatives and et cetera, will have just other, other kind of key stakeholders involved to make sure that we're bringing in the subject matter experts to be able to get it done. But it is a really lengthy process. Right. Mm. Yeah. And I love, yeah. And I love how you can keep trying to improve. Oh, wait, did we explain it? Do I, I keep doing this? We didn't explain B corporations to our, to our audience. We did it. Why don't you take a minute and do that? Yeah. Maybe, and you guys, you guys probably know more than I do, but it's, it's a, it's a certification that pa- Patagonia is probably the, the most famous company that, that, become certified as a B Corp. And it, it hits a number of, well, criteria to benefit people and planet. A lot of it, a lot of it actually is geared towards people. So uh, transparency within your organization, doing business with people that are, that are taking care of their employees as well. And then there's a whole environmental component. So it's, there's a lot of, a lot of categories. Yeah, there's like about, I think it's five. It's like governance, customers, employees, stakeholders, supply chain. There's there's a whole host of of components Mm -hmm. and you answer a lot of questions about each one of those uh, pieces and it's an independent certification. It can't be purchased. I mean, you do pay a licensing fee for the certification of it, but it's... um, it's a very rigorous standard and the standard moves. So it's not like a set standard. So the standard in 2014 is different. So our score has, has was really, really high. And then it's gone down just a little bit because the bar keeps, you know, the bar is being raised every year, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of this evolving component. Well, one thing you can get points for is giving back. And mm-hmm. I, 1% is a lot actually to give back and you guys do quite a quite have a quite a number of really amazing programs that you that you do with that one percent of your profits we we've changed over the years you know we've we've gone everywhere from you know we we started off with a a certain dollar amount per bottle and then um more recently we've we've transitioned to what we target about three percent of revenue every year uh to give away one percent of that's dedicated to one percent for the planet uh which is a similar functioning um you know, certification, and then you give to those nonprofits, which usually benefit people on the planet. And then outside of that, you know, we're, we're funding different grant organizations that have social and environment, environmental missions that are aligned uh, with our mission. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, to that extent, we, we've been able to grant, uh, we just crossed granting $1.5 million uh, since 2010, which has been, which that's, feels like something. <laughs> we're, we're so proud of that. I mean, we're a relatively small team. You know, we're privately owned, as as you mentioned in our um, introduction. 
And to be able to achieve that number as a collective body through all customer purchases is just so incredible to us. You know, we're in awe of it when we, when we review those numbers every time. It's so right. I wonder, do you think you could do that if you, if you were a publicly held company? I mean, that's, I don't know. It's such an aggressive, like what you've done is, I don't know. I feel like there's, you know, I, I have this mental image of all these stingy shareholders going, what are you doing giving away 3%? By God, we're not going to be competitive anymore. Yeah. I mean, you probably probably even get sued. I mean, you know, from like a fiduciary standpoint of how the market, the public market views, you know, fiduciary standards, it could be potentially you'd have a lawsuit of uh, shareholders saying that you're, you're, you're not being responsible to the shareholders. You know, we, yeah. we look at stakeholders, not shareholders. So I think, wow. you know, it's one of the advantages, you know, most two of our competitors are publicly traded. Yeti and Hyder Flask are both publicly traded organizations. Based on the stats on on one of our competitors' websites, we've given the same amount of money to nonprofits. They're a $400 million company and we're nowhere near that. That's what's great about being independent, uh, similar to Patagonia, is, is we choose our own direction. We get to operate how, how we'd like to. And so we get to attract people like you, John, who are inspired by the story and the mission and the the way that we've structured the organization. You know, yeah. It's just a, such a different experience from the competitors that we've identified. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, you make stuff and now you have to you have to make stuff responsibly. Like, how does that even work these days? And I think that you pay a lot of attention to that life cycle of your product. Right. That's a big that's you put a lot of time into that. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you guys remember that Patagonia ad? How many years ago was that? And the, the almost like 15 slogan was ago. don't buy this jacket. That's sort of how we view our, our products, right? So it's like buy the bottle and then use the bottle for as long as you can until it yeah. isn't functional, which really doesn't happen because it's so durable. You know, ditch the bottled water, ditch the to-go coffee cup, like just mm-hmm. exercise the rigor of leaning into reusable is one of the kind of stances that we take through yeah. all of our products. And, you know, and it's uh, it's one step forward, two steps back sometimes as we because you're really trying to create a, a pretty seismic shift. And I'll tell you kind of a funny story. But, you know, I always have a water bottle and uh, I was in a. Uh, a stage there for a while where I would go into Starbucks and I traveled all the time, like just like Verda. And I would go into the Starbucks and I'd be like, hey, could I get a just a, a grande pipe place or whatever? And I would give him my water bottle. And I remember uh, doing it when I was in Atlanta one time and the guy was like, what do you what do you want me to do? And I said, well, just put the coffee in there. And so he's like, oh, okay, but I think this will hold more than a grande. You sure? You, hang on a second. And so he goes and he takes a like a venti cup and he fills it up with coffee. And then he pours it into my water bottle <laughs> and then throws a cup away and says, yeah, I told you it would fit more, right? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> great. I'm glad I was able to avoid throwing away that venti cup. You're like, at least I saved a lid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And, yeah. Now, stainless steel is a, is a pretty good, clean material, right? It's... it's tell us about stainless steel. I was reading a little bit about it over the weekend, but, you know, all this stuff goes over my head chemistry stuff goes over my head it is made from a number of materials that are mined yep 
Yep. Yeah. So there, so it is, there is an impact, um, on all product, you know, everything that's made. And I think that's what's why we're so passionate about design is because simply starting and creating something. And you think about if you begin with the end in mind, right. Great philosophy of Stephen Covey is that you can, you can avoid a lot of things, whether it's, you know, throwing it away, disposables, all the things. So that was part of the reason we chose stainless steel from the very beginning of, of Mir was looking at, in 20, 2009, 2010, you know, there weren't a lot of drinkware companies on the market um, as there are today. And, and a lot of there were some plastics, a lot of plastics. Uh, there's some aluminum. Aluminum, you actually have to coat uh, with, a, with a plastic liner. Um, so there was a very popular Swiss water bottle company that was aluminum. It used to be a fuel canister for backpacking, had an internal coating um, of plastic, uh, which had BPA in it. So there's a whole host of issues with that, just from a, from a, from a safety perspective as, as to why we chose stainless. Same with some of the plastics. There was a lot of BPA, bifacinal A. There's a lot of stable plastics now, which are, which are great. And so, you know, we've, we've intentionally chosen stainless steel um, for its durability. It's used in, in hospitals, surgeries. Uh, it's very safe. It's very, you can clean it very easily. It's, it's, it's really a great product. You do have to mine some of the, the some of the components of it. And it's, it, it kind of depends on the, on the product bottled water. I think it's like a, a one to 100 ratio, roughly speaking for, you know, if you used 100 bottles of water, just disposable, uh, it's the same environment and impact as one bottle. So as soon as you, as soon as you like transition over, which if you're drinking eight ounces, eight times a day, six, so that's 64. So basically if you drink bottled water, which, which shockingly, some people just only drink bottled water, that's two days of bottled water. And you've already, and you switch over to a reusable bottle. You've already, you've already kind of reduced your impact. So it sounds like a lot, like a big ratio, but it, in fact, it's, uh, it, it lasts. It goes by quick. Yeah. We, we still yeah. Have, I still have a bottle from, from day one. So one of my first well, productions. We found out the other day, which I didn't realize, I, I always looked at aluminum as being a very good, sustainable material to use because it's so recyclable and it's, it's so valuable as a recyclable resource, but mm -hmm. it actually has a really large carbon footprint, yeah, the, a lot of carbon offset. The production of aluminum is very energy intensive. It is, it is highly recyclable. You know, I think, I can't remember what the stat is. I want to say between 50 and 50, I know 50 plus percent of, 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 of recycled of aluminum is recycled. So there, there's not necessarily a lot of uh, new aluminum. It can be almost mm -hmm. infinitely recycled, which is pretty cool. Um, so there's yeah. that benefit of it. So, What about stainless steel? How do you recycle that? Or do you, and talk about it. We, we all, we're always talking about take back programs because that's a big deal mm -hmm. for us. Carpet especially is, a, is mm -hmm. a big one. And we were talking to somebody a couple weeks ago that actually – is starting to create a take back pro program for drywall, which is very complex. Oh, interesting. Cycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Construction materials are complex because you have to sort them and, you know. Mixed materials yeah. and, yeah, yeah, that's very, very yeah. difficult. Yeah, it's, uh, it can't be recycled. It depends on the recycler. It can be salvaged. Um, it, it's either melted down um, or it's compressed. Uh, we're looking at actual kind of a, our own take back program. So we, we launched a reclaimed line in, in January of this year. And so we're, it's just in, a, in its infancy. And essentially we're looking at how do we make other products from the vessels, whether it's, whether it's reusable, whether it can be cleaned or entered back into the marketplace. You know, if, if there's a misprint or a, a slight imperfection, you know, a lot of companies will just uh, toss it out. And so we're actually looking at a whole marketplace of kind of imperfect products, which you know, again, as if you're if you're beholden to shareholders on the public market, they might not be a fan of you selling a discounted product because there's imperfections, right? And so, mm -hmm. right, our advantage is that we could actually look at creating a marketplace on our own website around it's been damaged in shipping, 
are you willing to buy it for a few bucks less? Probably. Uh, we're also looking, we have a, a new candle line, uh, which sounds you're like drinkware and candles. What? <laughs> um, but we, you know, a lot of camp cups, uh, that, that, uh, yeah. you know, maybe aren't, aren't able to be drink from, uh, whether the vacuum insulation has, has failed or it's been damaged in shipping. So we're actually worked with a local candle maker in Seattle to produce these really amazing smelling candles. Oh, yeah. The wax is obviously wax, poured into the camp. The wax cup. is poured into the camp cup. Um, so we're looking at like all these different ways that we can kind of reuse stainless steel mm-hmm. in a way that becomes useful. Well, and, and, you know, use of imperfect product and, and getting it out there, not worrying that it's going to implicate your brand into something that's not perfect. It's great. Right. And I think I can't help but think about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys. I mean, they were basically having the same problem. Yeah. Aren't they? <laughs> um, but I want I want you to talk a little bit about some of these social causes that that you are helping because I think it's really an amazing part of your brand and uh, I mean do you vet them like how do you find these causes because um, it's and, and, and not to keep going but and you track everything so beautifully and like it's it just it's such a legitimate effort that you're making. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I can talk to that a little bit. So Brian mentioned we started with clean water. That seemed like a really easy, well, an important initiative for one. At the time, I think over 1 billion people on the planet don't have or didn't have access to clean drinking water. And then also, yeah, t- tying to our water bottles, we thought just made a lot of sense from the c- consumer perspective, um, an easy story to tell, um, an easy story to kind of understand. But over time, as we grew, we thought, well, there are so many like domestic initiatives that we want to be able to invest in and engage with. And for the most part, clean water is not an issue in our country, thankfully. There are a few exceptions, but you know, we started to to look at, we consider Patagonia to be sort of our, our, our big brother, big sister partner, and they're really invested in the environment. Obviously they do a great job with that. And and we thought, well, we have an environmental story to tell as well. And then to take it further, considering that our mission statement is to empower people for a better future, we also believe in the power of community and building resilient and strong communities. And so now we kind of have this three-prong approach clean water, environment, and community that allows us to give domestically and internationally as well. And in terms of vetting our partners, we actually don't have too too many. We receive inquiries all the time, of course, which is awesome. But we have a, an impact department and a director there who handles kind of the vetting process. And, and normally, we are actually seeking out our partners as opposed to the other way around. Every now and then, an interesting you know prospect will kind of come in, and we have to make sure that the fit is right and that they have you know a track record of proven history and that they're pursuing their work in a way that. Um, that, that we believe in and that kind of aligns with our values, including transparency and sustainability and these things. But it's it's worked really well for us. And I think it's also it also kind of applies to to more people. What's an example of a of a partner that you've been inspired by lately? I mean some of my favorite ones are local. You know, we've yeah. we've we've um, you know if you if you go to the archives of Mir, we actually produced bicycles at one point. If you Google <laughs> Mir bicycles, you'll you'll see a whole host of you'll be like, Wow, they really went for it. <laughs> but uh, that, was, that was kind of a whole other uh, project that we, we worked with REI on uh, to develop a bicycle line that helps um, you know provide bicycles not only in developing countries, but also domestically. And so we've worked with uh, the Boise Bicycle Project in Boise, Idaho, Seattle Bike Works to really help youth get into bikes, uh, refugees, people who can't afford public transportation. And the, they're just 
these are great grassroots or grassroots organizations that are that are community driven, community led. And the bike culture is so passionate about getting people involved and, and really like I think not bike, not like not like road cycling. That's that's probably a, a very non not a very diverse sport, but the bicycling community is very passionate about helping in, in its community. So I, uh, those are some of my favorites. And then I think just our, our first trip to Liberia, Africa in 2011 is, is one that I'll, that will always kind of like be cemented in our, in our roots and our foundation. And that's, that's ultimately where the, the give code came from. Beck and I were in there, uh, we were over there 2011. Um, and we came back from that trip and one of our friends who bought one of our first products we were showing him photos and and he said, wow, this is really incredible. The, the bottle that I purchased from you all helped fund these clean water projects. And that's when a huge light bulb went off in that no, no consumer brand at that time had really connected the dots between the grant making, if they even were doing grant making and the product they were manufacturing. And so that's when we, we introduced the give code and, and uh, in 2011 and really connected the dots for consumers to come and be a part of it, to see it, to, to learn more about how we're generous, to invite them to do more. We've, we've kind of expanded upon that. There's, there's a, new, a new platform that we're, I think it's um, on the checkout piece now on our website where you can actually donate and contribute to the nonprofit partner in addition to buying the product. So it's, it's almost like we're a vehicle to hopefully encouraging and inspiring others to, to live more generously. Yeah, yeah, it's that consumer activism that's so powerful. Yeah, I love that give code. Now, you were talking about community. I think, do you guys have the flagship store, right, there in Seattle? We do. That's a pretty exciting community gesture. And you guys did it with this living this living building pilot program as well. Now, did you pick that site because of that? Or did that was that just already part of what was going on there? And then I would love for you guys to talk about how you're engaging with the community, the local community right there. Yeah, the building, I don't know. It's I'd love to say that like we chose it, but it kind of chose us in a, in a weird way. <laughs> it also helped our B Corp score. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're in this, yeah, we're in this beautiful building as part of Seattle's pilot, um, deep green pilot program. It's, it's lead platinum certified. So, you know, within the architecture and building community, you know, there's different certifications. I think there's lead gold, the building's lead platinum. And so, you know, things, I'm trying to think of some of the things like, you know, the, there's a living plant wall there's a, at yeah. the front entrance yeah and it shows how much energy is being used through like a whole sculpture kind of artistic thing which is really cool it collects rainwater so it uses the rainwater for all the gray water for toilets and all that stuff it's kind of funny there's actually little plaques in the bathroom that says like don't drink the toilet water because it's not sanitary which <laughs> not sure why you would do that anyway um, but, but it reminds you yeah. 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 there's all a right. little garden good to be reminded yeah. there's a little garden out front like ed- like edible landscaping technically i mean nobody's like picking the rosemary necessarily but oh i yeah. pick it you do <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah it kind of shows us we were looking we were looking to open up a retail store 2015 and we looked at some old buildings kind of in this fremont area and, and some were you know they're okay and then we stumbled upon this building and the gal lisa picard who is is developing the whole concept with brooks running shoes you know they wanted to have local retail in the bottom of it so they you know i think there was like a subway that had been here previously and wanted to come back in and they said no no no, no we're we're all about community. Uh, we want a local business, and so you know the, the the price was right, the space was right, kind of fit into our mission, our vision, our values. And then lo- long term, Lisa, who was the kind of heading up this project, she actually joined our board a couple of years after that, and is, um, she's she's now the CEO of Equity Office, which rolls into Blackstone. So just a r- really really helpful person on, on the brand side of things. But it's it's really an anchor to the Fremont kind of neighborhood, and it's a it's a way for us to host you know 
pre-COVID, obviously, for us to host uh, panels and and um, you know we've had we've had concerts and speaker series and photographers, and so it's a way for our community to come in and engage around uh, whether it's a fundraiser, uh, protect our winters, uh, which is a great uh, nonprofit that we're partnered with. So it's that's kind of been the focus of it, and then and then just have the essence be able to serve our customers beverages that they would consume out of their mere product. You know, so we have beer on tap, wine on tap, uh, full espresso bar, pour over coffee. Uh, so it's, it's been a, it's been a labor of love, but it's actually been a lot of fun for us to learn, be close to our customers ultimately. Yeah. That's what I was going to add is it was our first opportunity to really interact face to face with our, with our people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we have an awesome team here who runs the day-to-day operations and they're really, um, thoughtful about vendor selection, you know, the, the pastries that we bring in and the, the guest, uh, roasting coffee that we bring in for that program. Um, it's been really cool to kind of hand the, hand the reins over to them and see what they've been able to do with it, um, to, to create a really inclusive environment here. So. Well, I love the Fremont neighborhood and I had, I haven't run across your shop. I actually was, I was there over the last few years at Stalling and Art piece well designing an art piece and then the install taking forever but it just completed last uh just a couple uh, like a month ago and it is over by where the troll is Mm -hmm. yeah it's right by the library we're so close to that we're a stone throw away from there yeah okay well i didn't get to go see it because of lockdown but i'm gonna get up to Seattle's hopefully uh, who knows when but i want to see it installed i haven't I have yeah. yeah. installed, but I'll send you the address so you guys can. Yeah, we'd love to see it. it yeah, that would be amazing. It's on an apartment building. It's two walls of uh, exterior walls of an apartment building. Yeah. Okay. okay. I haven't even seen it yet, Verda. You need to send me. I was pictures supposed to send you pictures. Sorry, John. Yeah, <laughs> she's been talking about it for. It's been a long time coming. I know. Our project. So Brian and Becca, you guys, you know, I think it strikes me, Brian and Becca, that you guys are are. You, you seem to be fearless. Uh, it's almost like, oh, well, yeah, sure, we'll make bikes. Oh, yeah, sure, you know, we'll open up a retail front. Oh, sure, oh, we'll yeah, start a I podcast. Mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys have it, yeah. a great podcast. Empower. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, really. Oh my god, yeah. John, I know. Sorry to interrupt, but just I was listening to you, Brian, talk to the the founder of. Blue Bottle Coffee, and I was driving, and I so enjoyed that episode. I felt like I was sitting in South Korea with you all in that coffee shop, and I was just like, just transported to a whole different place. I loved it. Anyways, go ahead, John. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? That's how how it's supposed to work. I was so bummed that I couldn't be there. I'm like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. I had to fly to Korea to interview founder of Blue Bottle. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I feel like you probably could have done that uh, remotely, Brian, but, you know, it, uh, <laughs> we had to it's good to get a trip out of it. Um, they were expanding to Korea, so, you know, we needed to support our, our great customer and, yeah. you know, be there for the launch and, yeah, the whole yeah. thing. So. Yeah. But I got to say, between, the, between the two of us, Brian is definitely the risk taker and kind of the dreamer. So he comes up with these ideas and then eventually I come in and kind of temper it a little bit or, you know, I push back and, and then we kind of end up in a good mm-hmm. place. Or like, we should not sell bikes anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Are you fearless? Do you describe yourself that way? 
is that a spirit, you know, that you tend to have? Yeah, I, think so. I think so. You know, I don't, I don't, I think there's a difference between like fearless and careless. You know, mm-hmm. I think careless is like not, not planned out or not strategic, you know, or not thinking about it. I mean, certainly the cafe, we probably opened up a little bit early in the history of the brand. Just, you know, we were just, I mean, not just getting going, but like five years, you know, we really were kind of in that, you know, high growth, but still like, you know, just you're, you're plotting along, cash is tight. Um, so it was probably a little early in the brand and yet we were in, we're in an amazing location now because of the timing, right? You know, Seattle was super expensive. We'll see how real, real estate shakes out after COVID, but you know, we got in kind of early The you know, the bike thing led to a whole host of business, uh, opportunities with a lot of other customers. So it wasn't, um, you know, specifically Starbucks. We actually, fun fact, we made the first bicycle for Starbucks coffee, uh, which is, you're like, wait, why does Starbucks have a bicycle? Um, yeah. Howard Schultz. So in Seattle, that's the first kind of roastery concept. You know, so Starbucks has developed these roasteries all over the world where it's they're actually roasting coffee on site. And so the first one is in Seattle, um, kind of just a little bit north or just a little bit outside of downtown from their first location. And it's a beautiful. I mean, it's absolutely stunning from an architecture perspective. It's absolutely mind boggling. Have you been there, Verda? No, I haven't. Okay, it's you like have the Willy really Wonka of coffee. They have yeah. coffee tubes from the roastery that sends the coffee to the coffee bar. And it's the whole thing is there are I, copper finishes everywhere. It's mm-hmm. just uh, a labor custom of woodworking. Love. I mean, the whole thing is, is quite incredible. And, and before they opened, Howard Schultz wanted a bicycle um, within the place, and and this the team was searching everywhere. It was like three months before opening. Nobody would make a bike for them. Uh, one, uh, in that in that short amount in that time. short of time. Yeah. So they, uh, w- one of our friends knew somebody. We got contacted, and we ended up when we were making bicycles. We actually ended up um, pointed off for them. So um, we actually made the first bike for Starbucks. Now we have a, a beautiful relationship with them um, over in Asia as well. So it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I love wow. how you're integrated. Your products integrated with this coffee experience, Blue Bottle, and. Some of these others, yeah, it's really great. You know what I wanted to I wanted to give Brian a chance to talk a little bit more about because I remember when we were talking to him the first time, Brian and Becca behind you is sort of your you know your um, your motto, and Verda called you out. <laughs> she called you out, and I was like, oh, Brian, I'm sorry, she's being so rude. She's really unpredictable that way, but she called you out for using the word. Yeah, she called you out for using the word better. Yeah. Right? She's like, come on, man. Like, that's the best you can come up with is we want to make it better. Yeah. But I thought you had a really good, I love your your take on that. And I wanted to sort of give you a chance to talk a little bit about yeah, that. What does better mean? Yeah. Yeah. What the <laughs> hell, man? <laughs> yeah. Back's our English major. So maybe we could have come up with a better word. Uh, <laughs> as I said, the word better. But, uh, yeah. So, We've said it about seven yeah. times. Now. Yeah. So our, so our mission, you know, internally, our mission is, you know, we exist to empower people for a better future. And and and, and the, the comment was better. It's just kind of blah, you know, like it just seems like so blase and just kind of uh, vague. And and, and, and and I said we chose it intentionally because, you know, it's it's about a journey, not a destination. You know, we don't exist to empower people for the best future. Um, you know, we're, I don't think we're the best company. Are we better than we were in 2010? Absolutely. Are we better than we were last year? Absolutely. And so it's about that. It's kind of a, it's, it's really, I think if when, if you at first blush, you're probably like, oh yeah, yeah it's kind of vague. But if when you, when you actually start to like think about the word better and improvement and a journey, not a destination, I think it's actually quite inspiring to think about that continuation and, and really a mission statement should never be achievable, right? If it's, if it's actually a really well crafted and adhered yeah. to mission, 
we will never achieve that. And it can be daunting. Um, but that's where I think the word better comes in because it's actually, it's actually, I mean, it's right here. It's, you know, uh, I know right in between good you know. theater, only we were on video. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's this ability to, to craft your future, to make it better than before. And especially with the B Corp, you know, continually to, uh, you know, evaluate every three years to improve the business practices, improve the supply chain, improve the product. And we're always thinking about that from a product and even a, a, a project's perspective. How do we do this better? Uh, you know, I think early on in our, in our life cycle, when we were grant making, we wanted it to be like specifically tied to, you know, we have to be able to trace a dollar that does this exact thing. And, and then we started talking to our nonprofit partners and said, hey, what, what, what would be better for you? And they would say, you know, unrestricted grant making would actually be better because so many uh, foundations that give to us or corporations, they give us restricted grants for this one specific thing so that they can go off and tell their, you know, shareholders, stakeholders, they did this thing. Right. And so for us, it was, you know, we, 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 twi- we tweaked our, our grant making a little bit. We still report, we're still transparent. We talk about the nonprofit, the GPS, the photos, all that stuff. Uh, but sometimes they're unrestricted where it's like, we believe in this nonprofit so much, we're just going to write them a check and we're not going to restrict it to doing this exact little specific thing. Uh, you know, same with product. We have some of the best product on the market. However, there's always room for improvement. We're trying to make things better, more robust, longer lasting, better functionality. So all I have to say, better at first blush can sound a little vague and, 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 and blasé, but it's, I think it's actually quite inspiring uh, to be to hopefully achieve. I love the intentionality, if that's even yeah, a word. Yeah, I feel of- better and, and a, more, a more inspired future. And I think that your products are inspiring. Now, you did say, I think it was last time, it was either on your website or one, another interview or when we talked that you actually hate consumption culture. (laughs) 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 That's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's maybe uh, that's because we have young kids. Yeah. It could could very well be. I mean, it's, it's kind of exhausting sometimes it's, but I think it's, again, it's about better consumption, right. To use that word, you know, to, to say that like, you know, uh, consumption capitalism is a horrible thing. I think it's overgeneralizing things that have to happen, right. We have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to, drive to work or commute to work or whatever these things are that we we have to exist in the world you know traveling computer like all these things and again is it better consumption right so not more just better consumption you know uh, we, you know speaking of furniture back in our you know in our earlier on in our in our in our career and marriage it was you know we couldn't afford anything except for ikea you know and and you move once and all of a sudden your bookshelf doesn't stand up anymore because it falls apart after one move right and so mm-hmm. you know we recently moved into a house this summer and and you know, it was way more expensive to buy this beautiful sofa. Um, and, you know, it was like, there's something absurd, like five grand, you know, I, I was like, how can we spend five grand on a sofa? And we're like, you know what, this thing's going to last our lifetime and potentially our kid's lifetime. And it's so well designed from an aesthetic perspective that it's not trendy. It's not a fad. It's just good quality manufacturing and aesthetics. And so Oh yeah. Sustainable. That's huge. Sustainable. I know, you know, IKEA is such a classic, right? I mean, if you ever see, I'm not careful about anything, but if I'm carrying a piece of an IKEA furniture, it's like you're handling a piece of glass. (laughs) Don't don't you dare drop it. Don't you dare put it on the sidewalk. What are you doing? Don't put it on the sidewalk. You know, make my kids like handle it with kid gloves, because if you lose your grip for one second, (laughs) then it just explodes in like a, a, a big powder. <laughs> so, 
So, but you know, back to your couch or your sofa, it's like, you know, it's probably going to last forever and you can probably get those cushions replaced over and over and over again. And that's consumption at a much more responsible level. Um, Yeah. But, and I want to also give you a chance to talk a little bit about culture, Brian, because when we were talking to you, you said, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, which, you know, I wrote that down and uh, I, I love it. Talk about that a little bit. Gosh, it's, I mean, it's been an evolving journey for us. I mean, Beck can attest to it from, you know, the first, gosh, three, four years, there was only like four, like one to four of us, you know, for myself to a couple of employees, you know, starting to build. And then as we ramped from 2015 on to this year, you know, we've got 50 plus employees globally. You know, we had, we had an office in Boise, Idaho, uh, pre-COVID. So we do have employees in Idaho, Washington. We have an office in China uh, with a team there that works for us. Um, and so there's, you know, we have a, we have a diversified staff across, across the world. And so how do, we, how do we centralize our culture into things? And it goes back to mission, you know, and it's been an evolving journey. And, uh, you know, some of the wisdom from Lisa Picard, who I, who I mentioned earlier, you know, really helped us craft our values into practices. And so we call it the MVP, which is mission, which is we exist to empower people for a better future. Our vision, which is to create more beauty and generosity in the world. So again, not really achievable, but something that's kind of a guiding light for everything we do. Everything we do it comes out of our mission and vision. And then our in our practices, oftentimes people call them our, our values. You know, you see values at companies, but the, the challenge with values is I think Enron, one of Enron's values was like integrity. Integrity, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that should be all of our Yeah. Values. And so so that you know it's a little a misnomer, but practices are things that are living and breathing within your culture. And it took me probably, I mean, the last two years has really been what I've spent more of my time. I, I focus on brand, vision, and culture internally. And so culture for us has been, I used to kind of just think it was everybody's responsibility. And it is, everybody needs to be accountable to our culture, but it has to have a leader and it has to have a strategy, which I kind of took for granted and just thought it would naturally evolve. And you have to be really intentional about how you live into these things, your, your practices from your meeting cadence to how you reward people to your pay structure, to benefits, to, you know, how you, how you live and breathe. And so for us internally, we have, we have four practices um, and we, we call them practices because we actually practice saying them. You'll hear within our walls of our team, some actually all of the, the last one is, I don't know how many people say enjoy the ride, but our, our, our four practices are start with yes, find a way, be open and enjoy the ride. And so these are actually things that are spoken within the walls of Mir. So I'd say, hey, Beck, I really appreciate you being open to my idea. I understand that the, you know, the, the problem we could have with this uh, as far as you know, opening five cafes next year. So I'm going to go ahead and getting back into bike. So while I started with, I appreciate you starting with yes, but it also doesn't mean you have to end with yes. You know? So we wanted to have this culture of yes, this house of yes. And yet we also wanted to make sure that we didn't have to always say yes to everything because we found ourselves being too open on ideas and projects, right? So it's it's being open, whether that's our culture of inclusivity and belonging, but also ideas. And then and then I think find a way. That one is, it may be one of my favorite practices in, in, internally at Mir. And that one came out of just listening and observing people who have overcome, you know, people who have had setbacks in their life, people who have been down in the first three quarters and they came back, you know, Russell Wilson and, and Pete Carroll of the Seahawks, they're two of my favorite people to watch and quite honestly listen to because even though when they lose, they talk about what they've learned in that loss. And, you know, when they come back, what Russell Wilson has the most, most fourth quarter wins of any quarterback um, in NFL history. And you think about just that tenacity of mental toughness 
And then you see these videos from them in the locker room. And Pete Carroll's like, can you win the game in the first quarter? And everyone's like, no. And you, you know, second quarter, no. Third quarter, no. Can you win in the fourth quarter? Yeah. You know, and they're all like, um, so I think find a way is, is such yeah, a great, right. um, especially for entrepreneurs and startups, it's such a great practice to be, to be in that mindset. So I, I think culture is super, super important. And Beck, have you been able to incorporate authenticity into your core values? Oh, for sure. I think... I mean, I think authenticity is woven into each one of our our four practices. I certainly feel it with the interactions that I have with the team. We also just went through a four-day session with a contracted agency, and the program was called Managing with Heart and Mind. And we covered a, a wide range of topics, but in this virtual environment that we all find ourselves in, it was such a great way. It was it, the entire company attended and it was such a great way to, to stop the work and talk about things like, how do we communicate? How do we offer and receive feedback? How do we deal with power differentials in an org chart that requires that one report to another? And we saw a lot and heard a lot of just authentic uh, language and, and thoughts and questions kind of coming out of that series. So that was hugely beneficial. Um, and it's, it's content and material that we can refer back to. And we kind of have established this um, common language that we're all able to, to operate from. So, yeah, I mean, if, if a mere, we call ourselves meerkats and if a meerkat, <laughs> if a meerkat, wait, 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 you can't, I love uh, it. Why, why a meerkat? I mean, you say meerkat, it doesn't, in, you know, induce any Feelings of terror. Or, <laughs> you, should, you should Google meerkat. Like I see myself as a lion. Yeah, they right? travel in packs. You know, they all, yeah. they all okay. look out for each other. They're adorable. They're adorable. You know. Oh, they are uh, cute. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll give you that. Our entire staff is adorable. Uh, <laughs> they are. are no, so why do you call meerkats? Oh, it's just funny. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, meer and you. Know, Meerkats are an animal, and they all, but they all, you know, when, they, when you see the classic photo, they're all kind of like perched up, and you know, they're they got a head on a they're swivel, around. you know. They're, <laughs> um, and then yeah, we have like a, we have an yep. internal mirror camouflage, so it's like mirror cats camouflage. So it's mirror cat flage. I don't, the whole I don't know. It's just kind of an internal thing. It's yeah, it's hilarious. Well, I lost my train of thought, but anyway, mirror cats. All that to say, I think every mirror cat knows that we are on a journey of authenticity, transparency, sustainability. You know, it all it all kind of kind of goes hand in hand. Um, so I hope I hope that's felt throughout the organization. Yeah. yeah, I love how you call it practices and not values. Or, I mean, they're, they're your core values, but you call them practices. So you're trying yeah. to practice them every day. Where I'm working on reimagining my our core values and mission and vision right now to incorporate more planetary responsibility. Yeah. Just like you've done. And but it's selfish. We, I, I really appreciate that our practices um, translate over into our personal lives as well. I Our daughter recently said, find a way. I can't remember what the context was, but, you know, it's so awesome when the language starts to really kind of take hold and, um, and, you know, it's applicable anywhere, not just in this place of work. She's a mere, she's a meerkat too. Yeah. She's a mere kitten. She's a mere <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, possibly the last question, unless John has one and I'm, I'm, I give you the option. What's your moonshot or what is the most pressing issue problem that we're facing there are so many that you would like to solve for oh 
Gosh, there's so many. Well, I feel like I can actually I can actually say this because you threw some fade at better. I'll throw some fade at moonshots. Um, <laughs> I think moonshots are like a little ridiculous in the sense that I think you know for like whether it's you know vaccines or landing on the moon or some of this like really extravagant stuff that could, that could help. I think for the most part, it's really about pragmatic innovation and and pragmatic progress, meaning. You gotta, you gotta have that. You gotta have that north star, um, which, which is more around the mission. And so, being really, really focused on that mission, you know, I think moonshots kind of get us in trouble with like the we works of the world, where there's like such extravagant ideas and such fabricated value and monetary worth out of out of the valley um, that could be a potential issue. I think more, you know, I think we have so many passions around social and environmental causes. Um, you know, we're certainly passionate about getting businesses to, you know, be a bit more responsible about how they think and how they operate in the world, you know, and we want, we hope to be a model and to continue to be better as, as a, as a, certainly as a company, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know how this translates in the next year or two, but, you know, it, it feel, and it might feel this way because of social media, but it feel our culture, especially in the U S feels so divided, you know, politically and just around all these things that are potentially hot topics. And I just, you know, we, as a brand really want to be that hopefully that beacon of, of, of uniting folks around a common goal of, of, of being better as, as vague as that is, but just really, really empowering people and, and inviting people in um, from kind of both sides of the aisle to be a part of something that is not political. It's just about being better for the environment, being better for each other. Mm-hmm. Obviously better is a very, very broad term, but I just, I think from a broad perspective, like just being decent and being human. And, and it kind of goes back to our, our namesake mirror it's made up. So the, you know, it's a, it's a completely fabricated word. Um, but there's two kind of connotations. M I R in Eastern European languages means world peace or good. And so, you know, we've really seen that as we've pre COVID traveled the world, we've seen so much good. We've seen so much intensity, you know, from, from, from folks from Myanmar to Liberia, to the U S to Boise, I think genuinely people want to help others. And so being that beacon of light of let's not, Let's not destroy others. Let's not tear people down. Let's build people up. And, and Yeah. And I have to admit, I'm a bit of an idiot because I didn't make the connection between Meerkat and Mir until Brian just said it again. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's why I was like, why Meerkat? I don't get it. Why Meerkat? <laughs> so good. Meerkat. So good. Meerkat. What? <laughs> uh, I'm so stupid sometimes, Vernon. No. Well, thank yeah, you, guys. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks for having us on. It was really fun to chat with you for a little bit and get to know you. And um, I'm sure that Verda and I will be back on your website before too long because it's such amazing stuff. Keep it playing.